I'd just simply add my happy uh, Mother's Day to you as well, um, especially to my mom. Um, my parents are my heroes. Uh, my dad is the strongest man uh, that I've ever known. Um, and he was certainly, and still is, the strongest man I've ever known. And is certainly my spiritual hero. Uh, but my mother played a very unique and powerful role in my life. It was my mother uh, that always, always, uh, Mom, I love you, <laughs> but uh, would always talk to us about who she saw us being, according to Scripture, the qualities of biblical characters that she saw in us and would call us to something higher than what we would aspire to ourselves, would call us to biblical life. Um, and she still does. Uh, and so if, you're, if, you, if you've been blessed to be a mom, understand uh, what incredible role you play uh, in those in your life um, to call them to something more than what they naturally are. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, my wife does that for my kids. Um, and it's an incredible thing to see a, a godly woman living the qualities of uh, Proverbs 31. Um, so happy Mother's Day. Um, next week I'm beginning a new series. We're wrapping this one up today. And next week I'm starting this new series on, on getting to know Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And so it will be a perfect opportunity for you to bring a Bible with you. Uh, and uh, I, I know we got them on our smart devices. That's fine. You can use that. But to actually bring a paper one with you and follow along in the pages as we go through a very systematic study. They'll, they'll take us through the summer uh, in the 16 chapters of the book of Mark. And so I'm excited about that. I want you to make sure you're here. What I want to ask you to do in preparation for next Sunday is start reading the gospel of Mark over and over and over. It's going to read like a, like a fast-paced news article. That's how he wrote it. And so I want you to start in, in preparation for that. But let's, let's wrap up this series called Relentless Love. And I, I want to go to uh, a, a book of Psalms, chapter 86, and use this kind of our jumping off verse this morning. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my pl plea for grace. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. That's good news right there. But you're good and forgiving because of your abound, because that you are abounding in steadfast. You're good and forgiving, not because I deserve it. You're good and forgiving, not because I've given you something that, that would cause you to be good to me. You're good and forgiving because you are abounding in steadfast love. To all of us who would choose to call upon you, God. And because of your abound, because you are abounding in steadfast love, not because I deserve it, not because I put myself in a position, but because of your abounding love, listen to my plea for grace. And so, so my question right off the bat this morning, if God loves you and is relentlessly devoted to your highest good, why would you run from him? If God loves you and is relentlessly devoted to your highest good, why would you ever doubt him? If God loves you 
and is relentlessly devoted to your highest good. Why would we run? Why would we deny? Why would we doubt? Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you as God. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. I continue to be faithful to you. You who are my children, I continue to be faithful to you. Not because you're worthy of my faithfulness. I continue to be faithful to you, to step into your life, to move on your behalf. Not because you deserve it, but I am continue to be faithful to you because of my, what? Everlasting love. Now, now please understand, with this, if God's love is everlasting, God did not decide one day to love you. You understand? If his love is everlasting, God didn't wake up one day and think, you know what, that Carl, he's doing a pretty good job. I think I'll love him. God never decided one day. To, God didn't determine one day that I was worthy of his love. See, I can go back in the history of my mind and remember the day I fell in love with my wife, right? Like if you're married, you ought to be able to remember that day. If, if you've forgotten that day, see Jeff, he'll talk you through some stuff. But, <laughs> but I can also go back in the memory and remember days before I loved her and who I was before I loved her. Do you understand? God doesn't have that ability. God cannot go back in his memory and have a day when he never loved me and never loved you. God didn't decide one day to start loving you. God didn't determine one day that you would be worthy of his love. It is everlasting. God is love and has always loved you. Now, here's the implication. Please understand. If God never decided one day to start loving you, God can therefore never decide one day to unlove you. God, that was good. That wasn't that good? I felt like that was good. This has profound implications. If God didn't decide to start loving you one day, he can never one day decide to unlove you. Here's what it feels like. Sometimes it feels like when we are that way we are, when we do those things that we do, when we behave in ways we ought not behave, sometimes it feels as though we have been so unlovely that God maybe perhaps for a moment just says, you know what, y'all? Right? But because God never decided to start loving us, he can never decide to unlove us. Because his love is everlasting. And the Bible says, for I'm convinced, I don't think this, I don't believe this, this isn't something that sounds like a good, I am convinced. Beyond fact, beyond it's something that is unshaped. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all created, nothing upon nothing upon nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is from everlasting to everlasting. God loves, and he loves you. And because I've been around this church thing for a long time, I know there will be the, some who would question, well, if God is so loving, why would God send anybody to hell? Right? 
Some try to provide an answer to that question by coming up with the idea that there isn't really any hell because God is love. I need you to understand that that idea that there is no hell because God is love is biblically incorrect. That's false. There is hell. And it's very real. But let me be very clear. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You have to understand this. God does not send anybody to hell. The only reason why one would spend eternity there is because they deny the lordship or the rulership of Jesus their whole lives and die still rejecting Jesus as their Lord. And if one dies still rejecting Jesus as their Lord, having never come into a relationship with him, they will then also choose to spend eternity separated from him in a very real place called hell. So God doesn't send anybody to hell as punishment because he's upset with them. That's not who God is. That's not what God does. But God will allow people to spend eternity as we've ended life in separation from him. Why? Is it because God chooses to no longer love those who reject him? No, not at all. Well, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the fact is that God is a polite gentleman. And as a polite gentleman, God would never force himself on someone who does not want his love. God would not ever force himself into someone's life who does not want him in their life. And he allows us the freedom to spend eternity separated from him. And that eternal separation is experienced in hell. So let me be very clear. God loves you with an everlasting love. Well, God did not decide one day to start loving you. God did determine one day to show you the extent of his love. For the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I didn't start loving you one day. And because I didn't start loving you one day, I will never one day stop loving you. But I will decide one day to show you the extent of my love. And that's by my son coming to earth to give his life as a perfect substitute for your life because of your sin. So though I have never started loving you, means I will never stop loving you, but I have de decided to start showing you my love through my son. So now, because of God's relentless love, we can be friends with God. For John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Now we can be friends with God. Not because we deserve it, not because we've done something good, but because of his relentless love that invites us into relationship with him. And he will be polite and allow us to live without him on earth. And so he will also be polite and allow us to live without him in eternity. But he invites us into relationship with him through Jesus so we can be friends with him because of his love. And so I need you to understand this, that it is out of our response in love to the love of God as new friends with God that we obey him. 
Not because we have to, but because we understand how much he loves us. And out of response in love, we choose to obey. And so I just want to start this morning with this. For some of you, it's time for you to respond to the love of God. For some of you today, right now, it's time for you to respond to the love of God. To choose to invite him into your life as the ruler of your life, as the leader of your life. Do not live any longer separated from a relationship with him. Do not live any longer trying to be good enough for him. And do not choose to spend eternity separated from him. For some of you, this is your day. And I want to invite you to pray with me. If you've never accepted Jesus and invited him into your life to be the leader and the ruler of your life, this is your day. If in the past you've accepted Jesus as your rule, as the leader of your life, but have found yourself in a position and a situation currently where those days are long gone, and that love and commitment to Jesus has faded and muted, and it's something of years ago, but not now. Today is your day to invite him again as the leader of God. And so in your own words, I would invite you to say something like this. God, thank you that you love me and that you have always loved me. Thank you that you will never unlove me. I admit that I have been unlovely. I agree with you that I have lived different from your way, that that is sin. Please forgive me. I believe that, Jesus, you are the only way for my salvation. And that in a relationship with you, I am right with the Father. So I commit to follow you as best as I know how. I invite you into my life as my leader and as my ruler. I am yours from this day forward. Help me to love you with my whole heart and soul and mind and strength. Thank you that I am yours and now can call you friend. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm not sure exactly why God had me start the service that way. Other than it was for one of you. I know. And so if you've made some decision to follow Jesus or to recommit yourself to following him, 
I would l you need to tell somebody. There's a card in front of you if you're here in person with us. If you're online, it's on an app. You can stop by the Start Here booth. You've got to tell somebody. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father and the angels in heaven. And so if you have made that decision but can't confess that to me, we need to start over. You've got to confess him before somebody. Do you understand? And I would love to help you take some next steps in getting to know Jesus. Would, would, would you agree that it really does matter who your friends are? Would you agree with that? Yes. Just not in the general sense, like the Bible says, that bad company corrupts good character. So, so we understand, you have a good kid, put them around some bad kids, the person a good kid is going to act bad, right? And we understand that in a general sense. But, but, but in a more profound sense as well. Who our friends are matters. For, for instance, if you got a big friend, you can walk big. Right? Right? But, but, but conversely, if you don't got a big friend, you got to walk small. And the worst is when you got a small friend that tries to walk big but can't back up his walk because all they do is get you into trouble, right? You understand this? So I have an older brother, uh, and he was friends with older kids. Uh, and I vividly remember, I think in my seventh grade year, um, I had the ability to make friends with, with people of all kinds of different social backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, uh, ethnic backgrounds. Uh, I, I really, people liked me, uh, and I like people. I, it's, it's, it's not who I am now, but it's who I was <laughs> as a child. And I vividly remember walking down the street in, at nighttime one weekend with some of my hoodlum friends. You all know who the hoodlum friends are, right? You all had some, you all had some hoodlum friends, didn't you? Hey, here's the deal. If you didn't have hoodlum friends, you probably were the hoodlum. Yeah, so it was just some of the bad characters. You know, we were walking down the road. It was nighttime. It was all dark. And I was walking to the back of the pack. Uh, and, uh, and this car rolled, this is back in the early 80s, this car rolled, big, big, long car, rolled up on us and kind of stopped our, stopped our, our you know, our, our, little, our little evening walk. Uh, and and, and the, the front window rolls down, and I come walking through our pack up to the front window. And in this car was a bunch of older cats, they're a bunch of older guys. And, and uh, I mean, in my world, I was, I was just in junior, I was in seventh grade. They were, they were old, though. They had to be at least 16. <laughs> uh, and I walk up, in a, and they, they could have done anything they wanted to us. We're just a pack of junior high, seventh grade hoodlums. And I walk up, and I look inside, and the back window starts to roll down slowly. That's what they didn't have the electric stuff. It would, like, start to roll down slowly. And I looked inside, and the guy sitting in the window was the biggest, baddest one of all of them. And he looked out at me, and he and I realized that he was my friend because of my brother. And he said, see, see he, he and I were tight. I was, like his, I was like his little white brother. And he told the other fellas in the car, he said, hey, these kids are cool. And then... I gave him kind of the early 80s head nod, like, yeah, we're good, right? And they drove off. And I realized in that moment that I had a big friend. 
And the rest of that night, old Carl walked big. You understand what I'm saying? See, so it matters who your friends are. If you've got a big friend, you can walk big. And here's what I know, that because of God's relentless love, the Father has made a way through the Son for us to move from enemies with God to friends with God. And so now we got a big friend. And when we respond to the relentless love of God and walk in obedience to him, we've got a big friend and we can walk big in life. So now I know, because I got a big friend, that no weapon formed against me will stand. And now I know, because I got a big friend, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You understand? So it matters who our friends are. And it matters what we believe about our friends. I want you to understand this is really important. This verse shook me this week as I was studying this verse. Notice what it says. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That, that sh- Here's what shook me. We've come to know and believe the love. We've come to know and believe not that God loves. We've come to know and believe not that God has loved. We've come to know and believe not that God has chosen. We've come to know and believe the love. The word believe is a Greek word that means to be persuaded of. And so this is what shook me. When things start going bad in life, what am I believing? What am I persuaded of? When when things get hard, What do you believe? What are you persuaded of? When things fall apart, what do you believe? And what are you persuaded of? When all hell breaks loose against your life, what do you believe? And what are you persuaded of? When life formulates plans against you, what is it you believe? And what are you persuaded of? Why is it? This is what should be. Why is it that I believe the fear more than I believe the love? You do the same. Why is it we believe the anxiety? Why is it we believe the fear? Why is it we believe the worry? Why is it we fear the unknown more than believe the love? You know what that's like. When you believe the fear and you believe the worry more than the love, you can't go to sleep at night because when you lay your head on your pillow, all the fear and the worry runs through your head and you can't turn it off because you believe the fear and you believe the worry. You know what this is like? You believe the anxiety. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you feel is the pit in your stomach again because today's going to be as bad as yesterday. You believe not the love. Do you understand? God's relentless love. So we've come to believe the love. This is why I started this series. That we might believe the love and not the fear, that we might believe the love, and not the worry, that we might believe the love, and not the anxiety, that we might believe the love, not the trepidation. God's relentless love means that God wants the very best for you and has the best interest in mind for you. What do you believe? See, sometimes I think God allows us to go through tough times so that we'll come to terms with what we believe. Sometimes, He allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
He asks us to step into the water before the river has stopped. He asks us to go into the lion's den so that we will come to terms with what do we believe? Do we believe the fear? Do we believe the trepidation? Do we believe the worry? Do we believe the angst? Do we believe the anxiety? Or do we believe the love? Relentless love means God has a relentless devotion to your highest good. And I know that when the world turns against you, it's easier to believe the turn than it is to believe the love. But over and over and over through the Bible, all, I see it every page I turn. Psalm 103 is a, a beautiful, beautiful chapter. And I just want to take a couple of verses out of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, it's so interesting to me that the writer said, forget not his benefits. Here's our problem. We remember a lot of stuff more than we remember the benefits of God, the blessings of God. Here, here's, here's what I mean. Some of us, some of us are still living with the memory and the fear and the pain and the angst of what happened years ago. And it still is determining who we are now and how we respond in the future. Because we remember the pain and the anger and the abuse and the hurt more than we remember God's benefits, right? And so the psalmist says, there are some things we need to forget. There are some things we got to let go of. There are some things we got to get beyond. There are some things that are no longer should serve as our identity and the texture of our present and our future. But one of the things we ought never forget are the benefits and blessings of God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. And there it is again, abounding in what? Believe the love. Forget not his benefits. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his what? His love for those who fear him. As the father has compassion on us, okay, I, I, I realize it's Mother's Day, and the Bible uses the word father, and so let me just preempt any emails I might get from any moms that might be offended that I didn't include moms in this verse. As a father or a mother has compassion on their children, are we okay? We're all right? As a grandpa or a grandma has compassion on their kids. Here's what I know. I just know that, that there's, a, there's a little current, current out there that's, that, that wants to attribute, um, and, and rightfully so, feminine attributes to God. And because God, God, that's true. God has the attributes of, of the full male and full female within God. I mean, that's who God is, like. Let's create male and female in our image. But, but as a result of that, there's a lot of people say, well, let's start talking about God as female. Well, the Bible doesn't do that yet, so I'm not going to do that. And there are some say, you know what? You're so chauvinistic. Like, maybe Jesus was a woman. Well, he was, and he was a man, and so let's not go. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, if you want to get to that gender thing with God, then go ahead and take, the, take over the gender of Satan, too. So let's talk about Satan as a woman. Why not? You don't talk about God as a woman, then take the, take the devil too. So anyway, it's just it's like as a parent, as a mom, you know what it is to have compassion on your kids, right? As a father, it's compassion on the kids. So the Lord has compassion on those of us who fear him. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. 
And get this, his righteousness through his children's children. Like God wants, because of his relentless love, he wants to give us good gifts. And he wants to provide us with all his benefits. That's verse two. Forget not all his benefits. See, the truth is, because of God's relentless love, that God's love touches every part of our life. There's no circumstance and there's no situation. There's no adversity and there's no advancement. There's no pain nor promotion. There's no status, no situation. There's no loss nor gain that escapes nor that is not touched by God's love. It is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. Did you know that God actually likes people do you know that? That he likes individual people. When we were doing communion, a patient was talking, and, and I, I opened up the part with the little bread, and my mind immediately went to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I thought, that's a great verse, it's a great idea, but until it's about me, and so then I thought, well, God so loved me, that he gave his only begotten son. Because he loves individuals. There's 16 times in the first 18 verses of Psalm 103 where it uses the word we and our and us and you. and God is a personal God that loves individual people, you. The greatest theological truth that you could ever learn, the greatest theological truth I learned when I was a child Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the greatest theological truth you can know. Some of you learned that when you were children too. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Couple of you are Christian, couple of you learned that. The rest of you, maybe you didn't grow up that way, didn't learn that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, if you knew that and believed it, you might sing it out loud. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the greatest theological truth you can learn. I remember when we dedicated our sons. What, when are you gonna go on to the second verse? Is that what you started to do? Hey, don't get that saved right now. <laughs> I, I, I remember when, uh, when we dedicated our kids. And our church, and we do it in, in this church, we gave them a little Bible. And I vividly remember sitting down with our little ones and opening up the Bible and pointing to a page and saying, this page says Jesus loves you. And then we'd turn the page, say, this page says Jesus loves you. And we'd turn the page and so on this page says, Jesus loves you. Because the greatest thing we can know is that the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us. And because Jesus loves us, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, love doesn't refer to just mere feelings. Love refers to action. Because God loves us, he took action. 
When we respond to God's love in love, it requires it results in action. See, we have a righteousness that comes by faith, but we have a faith that actually works. Our faith works not because it has to, but because it gets to. Because of a relentless desire to show relentless love. That we've come in contact with God's relentless love and we relentlessly love him and it shows up in what we do. Let me ask you this. Why does a husband clean out the dishwasher? Why does a husband vacuum the carpet? Why does a husband do the laundry? Because he has a relentless desire to show relentless love. It better be for something other than you got in trouble or got caught. <laughs> Out of a relentless desire to show relentless love, I will do. Why is it that a wife can drive her car to the point of an empty gas tank, repeatedly driving by gas station after gas station after gas station. Why? Because she knows that her husband is a poor sap sitting at home waiting for the opportunity to show the relentless love that he has for his wife. And so given the opportunity, because she has neglected gas station after gas station after gas station in response to the relentless love that he has for his wife, Jumps at the opportunity to take her car down to the gas station and fill with gas and to wash the window. Because relentless love relentlessly does. Do you understand? I hope that message resonates with someone. Relentless love should always be rewarded somehow. So, so how, how, what are ways that we get to show love? Not just to each other, but to God. What are ways that we get to show relentless love to God and to his kingdom? It has to show up in serving somehow. It must show up in inviting our huddle to understand this relentless love of a relentless God. It has to at some point take shape in ties and giving gener generously. It must at some point show up in joy and kindness. So let me just share with you as I wrap up two ways our church is going to show that we've come in contact with the relentless love of God. One of those ways, one of our church planters in Cuba uh, is going through it right now. And it's beautiful to watch. That island has been hit by COVID in, in ways that are, that are far beyond the ways we've been hit. I, I'm going to guarantee you that. Uh, and they're struggling through that. There's already, already the food shortage, the supply shortage, all of that. That's just part of Cuban life. But the COVID on top of it, and here's what's happened. The church has thrived. The church has exploded. Here's why. Because people who realize they need Jesus are people who are in tension and in transition. And this is the beauty of what COVID has done to our world is it, puts, it has put people in tension and in transition. And this last year of COVID should have been the high watermark for the church. Instead of shrinking back and living in peril and trepidation, the church should have said in tension and transition, that's when we need Christ. 
And the church in Cuba has risen to that. And as a result of that, and let me just tell you this, I'm proud of you, Flipside. Because we didn't shrink back. But as a result of what's going on in Cuba, they have the opportunity, this is unprecedented, to actually buy a building for their church. You can't do that illegally, Cuba. And so guess what we're going to do? We're going to buy, buy another building. Heck, we smuggle people out. Might as well buy buildings in. So we're going to do it. Why? Because we've experienced the relentless love of God. And because God relentlessly loves people, and we relentlessly love the people that God relentlessly loves, so we relentlessly do on half of people God relentlessly loves. You understand? Did you get that? Here's the second thing we're going to do. We're going to start a new flip side site in River Park. Not River Park. What's that new thing? Riverstone. We're going to start a new site over there. It'll be at the end of this year, we're going to start another flip side site over there. Live worship, live children's, the piped in message of what we do here. So we're all one church in two different locations. And right now I'm already lining up a campus pastor. We're looking to line up children's leaders and worship team people and video and media people and set up people and guest relations. That's going to happen at the end of this year. Why? Because we've experienced God's relentless love. And we will relentlessly love people that God relentlessly does, loves. And we will relentlessly do for people that God relentlessly loves. Do you understand? So it means we'll start another church over there. That'll be part of us, just in a different location. And so for these two projects to respond to the relentless love of God, right up from the front end before any of this happens, we're going to generate $70,000 from our church to do this. $70,000 over and above regular tithes and offerings. I've already talked to one guy about it. He told me this. He said, Carl, you know my, me, you know my heart, you know my story. I love the Lord. He's been good to me. I'm going to match dollar for dollar up to the first $35,000. So he wrote me a check. So if you want to give $2 to this, give one. It's already matched by another. Do you understand? And some of you might ask, why would he do that? Because this guy has experienced the relentless love of God. And he realizes how relentlessly God has blessed him. And they respond right, relentlessly doing for those that God relentlessly loves. And I just got to tell you, this is flip side. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what Flipside does. And it's backwards, it's upside down from what most others do and the way most others do it. And it's upside down from the way most churches are put together. And it's upside down from the values of people that are not part of us. And it's upside down from the way the rest of the society is living. But this is flip side and this is the upside down values of the kingdom that we believe in. Caleb, come up here. See, this is what we do because we value the relentless love of God. And these are our values. And they're upside down. It's different. It's kingdom stuff. See, because we believe in the irrefutable, relentless love of God. And because of their irrefutable love of God, we give irresistible grace. And because of the irrefutable love of God, we practice irrational generosity. And because of the irrefutable love of God, we live with illogical faith. And because of the irrefutable love of God, we invest in an invisible kingdom. And because of the irrefutable love of God, we believe in infallible scriptures that remind us 
of the irrefutable, relentless love of God. This is who we are. And this is what Christians do. And the best thing I can invite you to this morning is to get in on this relentless love. I got a question for you. And I'm not going to give you any suggestions on how to respond. It's just a question. How will you decide what your response will be today to God's relentless love? How will you decide what your response will be today to God's relentless love? You're going to make a decision one way or the other to his relentless love. What's that decision going to be today? Not only that, what will be your decision about tomorrow in response to God's relentless love? I mean, think about it for a minute. What will your response be for the rest of this year in response to God's relentless love? You got the opportunity to make a profound, life-altering decision. What will be your decision for the rest of your life because of God's relentless love? This changes everything. God's loved you with a relentless, everlasting, undying love. And the only thing he's asked of you is everything. To love him back. So what is your decision? What will it be? Respond to the greatest theological truth in the Bible. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Did you learn that song growing up? Absolutely. Start playing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, oh yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Let's do this. We didn't practice this. We're just going to do it. Do it again. It's a good song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. You know this. Oh, yes, Jesus. Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Now listen, keep playing that song. Don't stop. Listen, this is the greatest theological truth that God has ever imparted to humanity. This truth changes everything. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. The world might tell me something different. Circumstances in my life might appear as if that's not true. It's still true. And I'm going to invite you in this moment that if you know it, to sing it like you know it because it changes everything. And the only way you're going to feel this one is if you stand up and put a 
smile on your face like we're little children. Though if you become like children, you can't come into the kingdom. Here we go. Like children, start right now. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me.